Hi, my name is Kevin McDonald, and I'm declaring my independence. Independence from what? Why, negative thoughts and energy, of course. Chief among them, hate, division, and fear. You see, I know that we're all one, and together we can solve any problem, save our planet and each other. Please, join me as we come together as one and choose a better way to be. So now, let's begin with my independence report. And welcome, everybody, to another episode of my Independence Report. It is now Friday, February 5th. My gosh, how we're going fast this year. Um, February 5th it is already, and I've got a wonderful guest for the entire hour, and her name is Karen Ford, and she knows something about something that we're all, most of us anyway, are scared of, and that is (laughs) money. And, <laughs> and she's actually written a, written a book uh, that is was number one in Amazon, which was um, I just I just lost that. Karen, what's what was the name? Money of? matters. Money. It, well, there you are. Because <laughs> it does. Now, how did it get to be number one in Amazon? I guess people liked the title and thought that they needed it, so. <laughs> <laughs> and they did. But you're, you do a lot more than just work with money. You're also a motivational speaker. You're a coach, uh-huh. and you can help people get uh, uh, the lifestyle that they want. And we're going to talk about all of that in the next hour. Uh, first of all, welcome to the show, and I'm glad you're here. Oh, thank you so much, Kevin. It's great to be here with you today, even though we're a across the u.s from each other this is a great thing <laughs> it is you know i started this 20 years ago uh it was 20 years ago today i think that's a beatles song anyway i started this a long time ago and the the, the technology has finally caught up to where we can do something really cool that's live and uh, and, and kind of impact people so it's it really is fun and i'm glad i'm glad that you're here for us to explore it so let's talk about uh karen when did you okay. when did you decide that you, that you wanted to learn about finances to get into what's your background well, you know, actually, that's a great question. And I get asked that all the time. I am actually a registered nurse, but I haven't practiced as a nurse for several years. And I'll tell you how this transcribed or uh, transpired. Actually, I had a friend of mine who said, Karen, you know, you're really good with numbers. You're really good with money. I think you ought to get some more training in that arena. You know, sometimes when something is natural to a person, you don't always see it as a gift or it just, it's you, it's just a part of you. And so I said, okay. So I went and got some more training and became a master financial coach. Now I already know some people are viewing this or listening to this and thinking, what? You're a nurse. What? How did you get to become a financial coach? But I look at it like this as a nurse, I help people get healthy physically, but as a master financial coach, I help people get healthy financially. And let's face it. Money. Everybody needs money. I have not had one person tell me, oh, no, thank you. I don't need any more money or no, thank you. I don't want any more money. I've never had anybody tell me that yet. And so we have to have money to live. Think about it. You have to have money for shelter, food, clothing. If you have kids, woo, you know how much they are, right? That's expensive <laughs> to have children. So Just a pair of tennis <laughs> shoes costs $150. <laughs> 
<laughs> I know it's nuts, isn't it? I mean, really. <laughs> I mean, I used to get the kids that were like eight ninety nine, and and from from like Walmart or whatever. And now now that you can, you, the kids won't even wear those. It's like right. No, we got to have something that's really cool. So uh, it's, right. it's 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 hard. So um, everybody needs money because money equals freedom. And, oh, you got that right. And if yeah. you have freedom, then you can do with it whatever you choose to do, which is which is what really is cool. I was reading your bio and reading some stuff on on your website. Is it really possible that somebody had eighty five credit cards? <laughs> Actually, they had eighty six. <laughs> but that's a full time job. Let's not forget that other one now. Uh, <laughs> Actually, you know, that was a real day of discovery uh, because I coach people one-on-one. There's a variety of ways of doing that. But this particular couple wanted to wanted assistance with their money. And so I am not going to judge. I'm not going get, to get critical. We've all had issues with money at some time. So I meet with this couple and I ask a variety of questions. And one of the questions I ask is about, you know, your debt. And we list all of those debts. And I was listing them, the balances, the, the payments each month. And I said, okay, is there anything else? And her face turned beet red. And she said, well, I have some credit cards that he doesn't know about. Oh I my said, God. okay. Okay, so I list those down, and I don't make a big deal about it. And I said, okay. And then I said, is there anything else? And his face turned beet red. (laughs) And he said, well, I've got some credit cards she doesn't know about. Now, this is a married couple. And so when we got all the cards on the table, no pun intended, I said, okay, now we could have a major fight right here. We could have World War III right here, but we're not going to do that. You all have been open and honest with each other right now. So what we're going to do is we're going to tackle the debt. And I said, it's not going to, it's not going to do either of you any good to have a, a bash out, a fight, what have you. Both of you were in the wrong. Both of you hid things from each other. Now it's out in the open. So let's move on with this. But literally every one of those credit cards had a balance on them. <sighs> 86 credit cards. I know. Isn't that crazy? That's like and, a full-time job, just getting the, approved for uh, that many. Oh, my goodness. Literally, you're, you know, you're just shuffling them around, all of these minimum payments. And, and unfortunately, the interest rates on these cards they had, the lowest interest rate I think they had was 8%, and the highest was 33.3%. And I tell you what, you know, when they made their minimum payments on some of these cards, literally the payment went to just about all interest. And so I know some people are probably thinking, how in the world did they get 86 credit cards? Why didn't the credit card companies cut them off? Why did they let them have it? Listen, the credit card companies... Uh, there's like a big bullseye on people like that. They, they're marketing to these people knowing 
they're probably going to use this credit card. I mean, how many times have you gone into a department store, you get the things that you're buying and you go up to the register and they say, would you like to save 10% off today? All you have to do, there you go. All you have to do is, is give us a little bit of information and take out a credit card. Well, I don't like taking out credit cards. That's okay. When you get it in the mail, you can cancel it. 99% of the time, when you get that card in the mail, you're not going to cancel it because you're like 90% of the other Americans that, that are going to say, you know what? I'm not going to use this credit card, but I'm not going to cancel it. I'm going to put it in my wallet just in case there's a emergency. <laughs> Right. Yeah. <laughs> and then lo and behold, you know, it's time to buy kids uh, school, you know, school clothes or, oh, it's time of year to take a vacation. And we didn't save up money for a vacation. But, boy, we desperately need a vacation. And this is an emergency. So we're going to use that American Express or that MasterCard. Listen, MasterCard is mastering you. <laughs> <laughs> yes, they are, and they and yes. they 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 get to do that to you, and because, and, and then the, the the insidious thing about it is, is you go, well, you know, I'm going to go ahead and use this credit card, but don't worry, I'm going to pay it off at the end of the month, and then the end uh. of the month comes, and something else has come up, and so it's like, well, you know, do I want to spend three hundred dollars that I've already spent, but do I want to pay off the credit card with that three hundred dollars, or do I want the minimum is only twenty bucks. Hey, that's not, that's not. And so it's, it, it's a dark rabbit hole that you can go down that you, that in some cases you just never get out of. That's true. And you know, you made a good point there. It's a trap because so many people say, you know what, if they don't have any money saved up and let's say they're driving down the road and, or, or maybe they're getting their car inspected and they need four new tires. Otherwise their car is not going to pass inspection. Right. So they, they're caught between a rock and a hard place because if you don't have the money to buy the four tires outright, but you have to have your car to get to work, then you're kind of between a rock and a hard place and you end up using that credit card to buy those four tires so you can get them on your car so you can get back to work. So it, it's a cycle that, and we are able to break the cycle, but so many people don't know how to break that cycle. And can I go ahead and give a few steps right now? <laughs> you certainly may, but okay. I've, got, I've got a major question, several questions to ask you a little bit later. So remind me, but let's go into okay. this right now. All right. Well, if you, if first of all, to break the cycle of using credit cards for debt, I know this is going to be like a no brainer statement and my, I'm not wanting to insult anyone, but if you want to get rid of credit card debt, you have to stop using those credit cards but, because if you're making payments each month, but you keep using those credit cards, I know it's a no brainer statement, but so many times people don't, don't see it. You have to stop using those credit cards. Well, what if I need to get gas in my car to, to get, use your money, use your debit card. Listen, most places will take a debit card. That means you have the money in the bank. You don't have to use that credit card to get gas. Now, if you don't have any money saved up whatsoever, meaning if you were to drive down the road and end up with a, a slash tire, it's not just a flat tire that a plug can fix it. You have to replace the tire. Then you need what we call an emergency fund. 
And the way to do that, depending on what your income is, it's so very important that you start saving up each payday every week or every two weeks, however you're going to do it, save some money. Even if it's $20, some people are thinking, well, $20 a week or $20 every pay isn't going to be very much. Yes, but you've got to start somewhere. And if you don't start, then you're not going to end up with any type of emergency fund. My recommendation is if you have no savings whatsoever, Get a thousand dollars in the bank. Well, how am I going to get a thousand dollars in the bank for an emergency fund? Okay. Here's, here's three things you can do. Look in your basement, look in your garage, look in your attic. If you have items in any of those areas that you have not used in at least one year, yard sell it, go on Facebook, take pictures of it, sell it, because you can't wait a year to save up a thousand dollars. You need to get a thousand dollars in the bank right away, straight away, so that if an emergency comes up, you have money on hand to take care of that emergency. Because if you don't have money in the bank for an emergency, you're going to use that credit card. And the way to get rid of credit card debt is first of all, stop using the credit cards to make purchases. And secondly, get an emergency fund some way. Listen, we all have things in our home that we don't use. Well, I might use that someday. Well, that someday hasn't happened in a year. So get rid of it and get some money. <laughs> you got to have an emergency fund because you never know what you're going to, whatever's going to happen. Listen, grandma used to say, save for a rainy day. Why did she say that? Because she knew one day it's going to rain. One day you're going to go through something. Hey, ah, we're going through a pandemic right now. You know, and a lot of people, I'm not going to shoot arrows at anybody, but this is a wake up call to everyone. Have we been spending too much money? Have we been frivolous with our money? Have we been going out to eat more than what we should? Do we wish we would have saved up more money before we got laid off or, or before they cut our hours? And listen, I feel for every person that has lost their job, has been laid off, whatever it is, I am truly sorry. But listen, this is a way that we can change our habits. We can adjust some things. Actually, people don't mind adjusting. They don't like to change. So let me change that word to adjust. <laughs> <laughs> exactly right oh well, well yeah and and you do have to uh you know and you were talking about uh if you save you know like 20 bucks a week well that's 500 bucks that's 540 dollars a year and right. and in two years there's your thousand dollars or right. but but you've got to do something to start somewhere now i consider in some cases and you tell me in, in your client base uh, there are people that use money as a comfort food. Oh, boy, yeah. <laughs> Explain what that is and how you can help people not do that, because that's destructive. Right. You know what happens sometimes? You know, we work 40-plus hours a week, what have you. And if if you have kids... You know, there's so many variables there, you know, sometimes we, with a mate, whatever the case may be. And sometimes we have the, 
I deserve it mentality. I've worked all week. I deserve to go out to eat tonight and go to the mall and go shopping and have a little spending spree, shopping spree. Listen, go look at your budget. Listen, let the bet, let the budget be the bad guy. It's not your mate that is the bad guy. And those who are married, listen, Go discuss money. Did you know that the number one reason for divorce in America today is money fights? That should not be. Listen, we all, we married our mate because they're opposite of us. I would not be able to marry somebody just like me. I can't stand me sometimes. Okay. (laughs) So I wouldn't want to be married to me. So my husband and I are opposites and one of us is a spender and one of us is a saver. And on depending on what day it is, we might change roles. But listen, it's important to talk about money so you can prevent money fights. Instead of going out and going out on a $100, $300 shopping spree and coming home and your mate is all upset with you because you didn't, you know, you kept them in the dark, say, you're not asking permission, you're discussing. Say, you know what? I want to talk to you about our budget this month. Would it be okay? What do you think about me going shopping? And they may say, well, how much do you want to spend? Well, can I spend $300? No, you can't spend $300, but I think you could spend 100 Discuss it. That prevents money fights, number one. And number two, uh, my husband and I have what we call we money, he money, she money. Oh, that's a good now, idea. And you know, we money is... The majority of the money that we bring in together, which takes care of our living expenses, utilities, house, uh, putting gas in the car, different things like that, right? Living expenses. But then you can decide, depending on what your income is and depending on your budget, it may be it's going to be $20 a week for he, $20 a week for she, and it needs to be equal. It needs to be equal. Whatever the amount is for he, she needs to be equal, or it may be $50 a week for he money, she money. Listen, this is what it helps prevent. You might not spend that he money, she money each and every week, every time you get it, right? You might save it up. But this prevents money fights because if he goes out and decides to buy a new gun or buys whatever it is he's going to buy or she decides she's going to buy a new handbag, whatever it is, then when they come home, hey, it was my she money or hey, it was my he money. It prevents money fights. If my husband wants to take his he money and flush it down the toilet, no, I don't necessarily would. I would not like him to do that. But that's he money. So he can spend it on whatever he wants. That helps prevent money fights. But to go back to your original question, sometimes people do emotional spending because they're depressed, right? Or you've, you, you're busy with the kids and you just need a time away. Maybe you want to go to a spa. Maybe the guy wants to go out and be out with the guys. Whatever it is, you just feel like, hey, I need out. I need to go spend some money. Listen, I have no, nothing against rewarding yourself for your hard work. We all, you know, you need to have a reward for, for working 40 plus hours a week. And listen, if you are at home and you're not working outside the home, you're still working, oh, right? Yeah. So so you still deserve to have that time away or that little bit of spending, but discuss it. Look at your budget and decide. And if you are single, you're, you're not in a relationship, 
It's okay to spend money, but what I recommend is have an accountability partner. Now, let me define what an accountability partner is not. (laughs) If you go to the mall and you have your accountability partner with you and you try on a pair of shoes and you say, what do you think of these? And your accountability partner says, those look fantastic. You ought to get five pair. No, 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 no. That account, that is not a good accountability partner. An accountability partner needs to be able to say, you know what? Those shoes look awesome, but I don't think that you can do that this month. Maybe wait till next month. They have to be able, first of all, it has to be somebody that you trust because you, you're asking them to hold you accountable. So they kind of have to get up in your finances and you have to share with them what you're comfortable with, but they have to be able to tell you the truth nicely. Okay. Nicely and say, yeah, those look great, but maybe not right now. Let's relook at the budget and see when you can get those. I have a close personal relatives. Okay. <laughs> Excuse me. Absolutely. That he um, emotionally spends. Okay. He feels like uh, he needs to do this because, and then he'll figure out how to make it work later. And then what happens is after every cycle of that, it gets farther and farther, deeper and deeper and deeper until he's to a point where he cries uncle and then I find out about it and then we have to we have to take steps to fix it but uh how do you teach somebody that does that number one they've got they've got to have the they've got to have the desire to stop doing it um That's right. but but also you said the b word there are lots and lots of people that are scared of the b word and that's the budget word how do you build a budget and how do you make it work Well, first of all, I tell people, most of the time when people hear the word budget, they do this, no, right? (laughs) So I say, listen, the word budget is not a four-letter word, okay? First of all, it's six letters, okay? Exactly. (laughs) And a budget can be your friend. Here's a good definition of what a budget is. A budget is you telling your money what you want it to do instead of wondering where it went. A budget, you're in the driver's seat when you have a budget. When you don't have a budget, you're not in control. How many times have all of us have had money in our wallet? And if you don't have a budget, at the end of the week, you look in your wallet and you say, hey, what happened to all that money that was in my wallet? Here's another way I know if people budget or not. I got my W-2 in the mail. Oh, my gosh. What happened to all that money that I made? Nine times out of 10, you're not budgeting because a person who budgets knows exactly where it's going. Now, I'm not saying that you have to squeeze every nickel and, you know, go down to the fine tooth comb to every little cent. What I'm saying is you're telling your money what you want it to do. A quick and easy way of setting up a budget is list all of your expenses, whether it's rent or mortgage payment, car payment, gas in the car, utilities, food, all of it, credit cards, all of it listed all on a piece of paper or Excel sheet, all of those monthly expenses, write down what is your take-home pay each month, right? Now, a good rule of thumb is, is your housing should not, it should be somewhere between 30 and 35% of your take-home pay. 
I have coached people literally that their housing is 50% of their take-home pay. And that is way too much. Now, that was their choice. It wasn't because there wasn't any other place to buy or no other place to rent. That was their decision. I have coached people where their truck payment every month is more than what their rent is. Okay. I know an $80,000 truck is awesome. And those wheels, it's awesome. But the question is, is can you afford it? Can you afford it? You know, look at that. Look at what your monthly expenses are. Am I telling you to sell your truck? No, but if you can't afford it, you may have to downsize that truck until you can. Some people eat out a lot. I am not against eating out by any means, but how much are you spending on food every month? Listen, I coached a couple one time, a young couple. Both of them had great jobs. She was a nurse. He had a great job and they had a little three-year-old. And I was coaching them my first session with them. And one of the questions I asked was, Okay, do you do meal planning? How much do you spend on groceries each week? And they both had the deer in the headlight look. Literally, they were like, like that. And I said, okay, do you not meal plan? No. Okay, well, how often do you go to the grocery store? Every two or three days, we pick up what we need. How much does that cost you? And I go through a series of questions. They both, you know, bought their lunch in the cafeteria at work every day that they worked. They ate out twice a week. You know, lots of different things added up. They were spending on food every month $1,500 between grocery store, restaurants, drive through, all of it. And they did not realize that they were spending that much because it's so easy to use a debit card. It's mindless. You don't really know how much you're spending until you look at the statement, if you decide you're going to look at the statement. And so for a family of three, $1,500 $1,500 a month. I said, do you want to adjust this? See, they'll, they'll be more than willing to adjust rather than change. And they said, yes. I said, okay, what are you willing to do? I know what I could tell them to do. But see, if I tell them what to do, nine times out of 10, they're not going to do it. It's like but if they come you. up with the idea, then chances are they're going to stick with it. So they decided they were going to brown bag their lunch every day, except on Fridays, they would eat in the cafeteria. They would go not eating out in a restaurant twice a week, but once a month as a treat, right? They would eliminate going to the grocery store every two or three, two or three days. I taught them how to do meal planning and they went to the grocery store once a week with a list. So they went from $1,500 a month down to $600 a month and they were able to bank $900 a month, which is a great win situation. I'm not against eating out. I'm not against drive throughs I'm not against any of that. I do that myself. But make sure it's in your budget. Well, it's like, it's like it, I deserve, I have to go to work today. I deserve to go to Starbucks because I don't want to make coffee. And... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and so yeah. I, I deserve and I deserve a double latte with whipped cream and whatever they, I, I, it's been years since I've, I, I get, bl- <laughs> when I go to Starbucks, I get black coffee. Uh, but, but, in, in, but some people, you know, so it's like, all right, so it's $5. That's $5. Right. That's a $5 hey, a day. I coached a young guy one time and he was young. He had a great job and we were going through his expenses and I thought, 
where is all this money going? And I just looked at him and I said, do you drink coffee? And he said, yeah. And I said, do you make coffee at home? What do you, what are you doing? He said, oh no, I drive through to get my coffee. I said, how often do you do that? Every day on my way to work. I said, oh, okay. Okay. How much does that cost you each time? And he told me he was spending anywhere between 300 and $350 a month on coffee. Now, listen, I love coffee myself. I don't have anything against coffee, but he didn't realize because again, the debit card is mindless. It's a mindless transaction. He didn't realize he was spending 300 to $350 a month on coffee. So he again had the deer in the headlight moment. And I said, do you, do you want to adjust that? He said, yeah. So he decided instead of driving through that place every day on his way to work, he would go once a week on Friday into the work week. It's a great treat. And other times he would make coffee at home. It's listen, it's little adjustments. Usually it's not the big items that get us. Now, granted, if you buy a house that's too much for your budget, that can get you. If you buy a truck and the payment is too high, that can get you. But most of the time, it's the little foxes that spoil the vine. It's the little things that add up. It's the $5 here. It's the $10 there. I get it. Both of you have worked hard all week. You're tired. You come home and you're thinking, oh, God, I don't want to cook. You know, I don't want to, because cook that's work, right? You're done with work. You just got home. Here's some great tips. First of all, if you're, you're, if you have children and it's age appropriate, I am one of seven children. I can remember coming home from school and there would be a note there from my mother saying, put the meatloaf in the oven at 350 degrees at 4 PM, right? Okay. So this is what, what we can do. Take a Friday after you get home from work or a Saturday, take two hours. And I'm just giving you ideas. Take two hours, already go to the grocery store, come home, make a big, a big vat of soup. Okay. Put those in containers and freeze it and maybe leave one container in the fridge. So you have a meal, right? Make a big pot of spaghetti sauce, big pot so that you have two or three containers of that and put, maybe put some in the refrigerator for a night of spaghetti. You know, you could have a meatloaf, mix it all up. Don't bake it, put it in the container, put it in the freezer and then take it out the day before, before you're going to put it in the oven. Listen, there are key ways that you can do this. Whole chickens or a pot roast. Do you know crock pot pudding? cooking. You can put a chicken or a roast in a crock pot and put it in there of a morning before you leave for work. When you come home, it's done. Cut up potatoes or onions and carrots and put that in there with the chicken or the pot roast. And that is done. If you have kids that are age appropriate, and you'll have to determine that depending on their maturity level, but don't come home and you're the one who's having to do all the housework and the cooking and the cleaning. Listen, uh, you know, uh, my maiden name was white. And just because I was part of the white house, okay, I, my parents with seven kids, you know how much clutter there is with seven kids. We all had chores, normal things we had to do that we did not get paid for. And my mom and dad did not believe in an allowance. An allowance what? For breathing? No. You are going to have a work ethic. And the sooner you start this, the better off. That way, when they become an adult, they don't have an entitlement mentality. You, you, get, you get paid when you work, right? So all of us had 
chores we had to do. We had to clean our room. We had to make our bed. After a meal, we had to, we didn't have a dishwasher back then. It wasn't until all of us kids left the house that my mom and dad got a dishwasher. I don't know why that is. Because they had seven of them. We begged them. We begged them, Mom, why don't you get a dishwasher? She said, I don't need one. I've got seven. Exactly. One, you know, my dad would make assignments. You rid up the dishes. That's right. Rid up. Rid up the dishes. You wash the dishes. You dry the dishes. And you put them away and you sweep the floor. We all had chores. Those were normal things. But then we didn't get paid an allowance. We got paid for certain things that they stated. Okay, my brothers, if you mow the grass, you are going to get paid this amount of money. If you do this, you're going to get paid this amount of money. Well, how young can you start that? Listen, you can train a four-year-old to make their bed. Is it going to be perfect? No, not at all. But listen, you could do this. Listen, if you make your bed today, I am going to give you 50 cents. And you know what? That makes that child feel so good. They did something. No, it's not going to be perfect. But they're thinking, wow, I earned 50 cents. You didn't give it to them. They earned it. See, see the difference with that? And you, and you decide what the normal chores are in your home that they're not going to get paid for because they're a part of the Smith house or the Jones house or the White house or whatever family they're a part of. That way you aren't the one who has to come home and do all of that. Listen, I can remember at six years old, I was folding washcloths and, and dish towels. Was it perfect? No, but I was learning to do that. I can remember when I was eight or nine, my mother lowering the ironing board and turning on the iron on low. And I was learning to iron handkerchiefs, just squares, right? And so children can learn depending on their maturity level, their age. And of course, you'll, you know them better than I do. They're a part of your family. And start attaching that. That way you're not the one who's having to come home after working a long day and having to do all the uh, these other things. Children can learn how to do laundry at the age of 10. Put it in the wash. Put the soap in there. Turn it to this dial. You can even type out instructions or have a cheat sheet or something. That way you're not the ones having to do that. Yeah, but that's uh, you know, that's not happening today. Well, I know it's not happening. It should but be. But if you're not the one, if you're a parent and you have children and you don't want to be the one who's constantly coming home and having to do all of these things, then start implementing some of these things to your children. Now, some parents will say, well, uh, they're not going to do that because they have schoolwork. I'm not going to make them do that. I'm not a counselor. I'm just going to say you may be doing your children a very great disservice because when they're 18 and they go off to college or they attempt to live out on their own, are they going to know how to cook? Are they going to know how to properly clean? Are they going to know what it's like to earn money on a job? I'm not saying that you have to do it, but it might be a good idea. And that way, they're already ahead of the game. It's going to give them a win under their belt because now they're using their time wisely. They're learning how to use their time. Uh, 
there's so many things. It'll give them a good, you know, good self-esteem. They feel good about themselves. Don't let them come home and get on those video games or on their phone for hours on end without lifting a finger in the home that you provide for them, that you pay for them, and you're the one putting the food on the table. Help them learn and grow into becoming mature, responsible human beings so that when they do reach adulthood, they don't have an entitlement mentality or have a shock. I mean, so many people, when they're 18, now they're thrown into the workforce and and college. They have no idea how to do laundry. They don't know how to budget money. They don't know that when their boss tells them to do something that they're supposed to do it. I'm just saying it's a good idea if you're a parent and maybe you've never done that, start implementing a little bit. It'll be a win for you so that you're not the one doing all of it. And it'll actually give your children a win as well. Well, I was, when you were, when you were talking about, when you were talking about uh, uh, putting meatloaf together and spaghetti sauce and, and stuff, I was going, well, that could be something that the parent could learn and then teach the children because the, the young kids today that I call young kids, they're in their twenties right. and thirties and they've got the toddlers and stuff. They didn't learn how to cook either. Right. That's so very true. Hey, you know, one of the common denominators when I coach people, and I've coached people from the age of 18 all the way up to 75 years old. And one common theme is this. I never was taught how to budget. Now, listen, I'm not going to shoot anybody in the foot over that or condemn you or try to make you feel bad. You know what my response is? Well, I'm sorry that you didn't. No one taught you that. I'm going to teach you how to budget this. I'm going to teach you how to properly budget. I don't care if they're 18, 35, 50 or 75. It's never too late to learn. And if you didn't learn how to budget, you know, I've talked with widows that their husbands uh, you know, passed away and they never taught their wives or the wives were kind of in the dark about the money. And, and you know, that's the way it worked at, at times in certain marriages. And so I'm not going to, you know, I'm not going to put the husband under the bus because he never had her a part of that. But listen, it's never, you're never too young or too old to learn how to budget. And I'm certainly not here to condemn anybody. I want to see people win with money. And, you know, that's part of my goal is to help you win with money. Well, you know, and, and, and what you say is so true. I, I really honestly think that that handling money is, number one, it's a skill. Uh, number yes, two, it it's something that you that you really need to work on. It's like if you uh, like to play tennis and you have a crappy backhand. You've got to learn how to do the backhand or you're never going to be any good at tennis. My, you know, I, there's a, a good friend of ours that... Uh, um, they were together for 50 years. Okay. He did all the budgeting. He did all the financial stuff. She doesn't even know where the retirement is. He never shared that with her because of course he's going to live forever and she's going to live forever. Well, COVID took him. <clears throat> oh, I'm sorry. And he, and so she doesn't, so She's sitting there and has no earthly idea where the money is, how to get money, what to, what, it's, it's, and it's a crime what he did to her because you can't do that to people. So it's, it's great that you're teaching people 
how to work with money, how to budget money, because money is, it's, whether you like it or not, it's a necessary evil. Oh, you got to have it. You know, uh, that's unfortunate. So if I can encourage uh, married couples, talk with your mate. Make sure both of you are on the same page regarding money, how to get it out of the bank, how to put it in the bank, all of the accounts. That needs to be out in the open. You know, that's unfortunate that this woman lost her husband and is kind of in a clueless arena when it comes to money because she's going through a grieving process and Now's not the time for her to try to even absorb information on how to budget money. She's going through grieving. Uh, and so it's a good idea um, to make sure when you're in a relationship that your partner is aware. Both of you are on the same page with money so that, God forbid, if something happened to you, then they have access to the money. They know how much money. They know what to do with it. That kind of thing. Yeah. Well, it's even, it's even, like, like I told you, I think before we started, and people who listen to this podcast know that my brother passed, uh, in, in the fall. I'm sorry. And, uh, and, and he had stage four lung cancer, so don't smoke, please. In any event, right. um, he passed away and he thought that everything was going to be covered in the will. Well, the financial, oh, so you know that, uh, that's not true at all. And so he didn't part- he didn't learn enough. Now, do you teach people how to work with money as far as the instruments that they have and what what they are and how to how to manage them and to do all that sort of thing? You mean investments? Is that what you're talking Not about? Not so much investments. It's just the, the simple knowledge of like, well, if you have a bank account, you yes. need to have somebody be your beneficiary of that bank account or that money could get stuck there for years. Right. Absolutely. You know, you need to have a beneficiary on whatever account you have, whether it's a retirement account, checking account, you got to have another person's name on there. If you have a retirement account or annuity, whatever you have, make sure you have a beneficiary. And also, I don't care if you're 20 and you're newly married and no, you're going to live until you're 80. I know after getting married, you don't want to think about dying, leaving uh, each other. But listen, get a will, honestly. They are not that expensive. Really, they are really not that expensive. And and it can be very simplistic. You know, I'm not an attorney, but see an attorney, have them draw up the will, and you can make it very basic. Everything I owed, including house, vehicles, bank accounts, all of that, you know, if either one of us dies, it goes to the other one, right? And then we have in our will that as well as if my husband and I were to die at the same time, whatever that is, then it would be given to the children. And we have an executor, you know, of the estate at, specifically with what we would want them to do with it. So get a will. I know if you're young, you don't want to think about it, but really you'll be and then you don't have to worry. You don't have to worry about it or think about it for years. Put it in a safe deposit box. Have a file, some type of file in your home that has 
you know, it, we have a will in safe deposit box at this bank, right? You know, and these are the accounts, what have you just have that information. Most people, when they have a marriage license, uh, you know, they put it in a safe deposit box. They don't put it in their kitchen drawer. Okay. Uh, anything like that, you want to make sure you have it in a safe deposit ba- box or fireproof safe, something like that. So that, you know, it can be, it's not going to be destroyed. It can be gotten to. So yes, absolutely. It's so important to have a beneficiary. Now you've done things with real estate and yes. you've flipped houses and yes. and you can teach people how to do that. Now I, did, I had one question about flipping houses. First of all, in the great Northwest here, it's expensive to buy a house. Um, it, it, the house that I paid uh, in uh, the eighties, I paid one hundred eleven thousand for. Is now worth four hundred and seventy five thousand dollars. Yes, um, the house that I grew up in that they bought for eighteen thousand dollars is now worth a million. Yes. Um, <clears throat> how do you, how would you possibly flip a house in this in this environment? Well, first of all. <laughs> Depending on what your income is and your budget is, you're probably not going to buy a $400,000 home and expect to do a few things to it and flip it for a million unless you're in a really great area. There's different ways of acquiring properties. First of all, you can go through a real estate agent. Uh, You can look for foreclosures. Uh, You can look for, and this is where I personally like to buy properties, is through the state auditor office. And I actually have written four books. One of the books uh, actually has to do with real estate, flipping, buying, all of it. It's called You Can Do It. And it's also on Amazon. I hope you don't mind me letting people know that. Absolutely Uh, not. uh, This book, you can buy properties for through foreclosures and then the state auditor auction. Every state has what we call a state auditor. And one of the duties of a state auditor is they end up with properties where people didn't pay their real estate taxes on it for whatever it means. Maybe Aunt Aunt Mary passed away and nobody knew she had this particular property. Therefore, nobody paid taxes on it. For whatever reason, uh, people decided, ah, I'll just let that property go. Whatever the reason is, they didn't pay property taxes. And the state auditor office ends up with these properties. Well, they're not in the real estate business. They want them off the books. So in the state in which I live, and you would have to check in whatever state you live, they auction these properties off because they don't want them. They don't want to keep them on the books. And they'll sell them for pennies on the dollar. Oh, wow. Uh, they might start out at $10 a property and they might start out at $30 a property, $100 property. You have to check. In the state of West Virginia, where I live, they have a state auditor auction every year and they put on their website the auction for these three counties will be this day. The auction for these three counties will be this day, et cetera, et cetera. They post these properties a month in advance. That gives me time to research and see where these properties are. Don't buy a pig and a poke. I learned that the hard way. Uh, (laughs) But bidding on these properties and then you do your due diligence, you end up with the deeds. And then once you get the deed, you go into the property and you evaluate it and say, you know what? I think I can flip this property or 
I'm not going to flip this property. I'm going to get my guys in here, empty the house, and then I'm just going to sell it and make some few extra bucks. Now, I'll tell you what I did, and I do not advise anyone doing this. The very first time I went to a state auditor auction, I was excited. I'm a type A personality. I didn't, I didn't care that I hadn't done the research. I just wanted to buy. Okay. So I had my number and I knew the vicinity of this property, but I had not laid eyes on it. And I put up that card and I got the property. Nobody bid against me. That should have been clue number one. And I bought this property for $10. So there, you know, there's some things that are involved after you do the bidding and the attorney does a title deed search. And then I finally get the deed. I get the deed and I thought, okay, I guess I need to go figure out where you are. So I went and I laid eyes on this property. <laughs> you already know. For the it first time. It was a mobile home on a lot. So I, the deed was the mobile home on the lot, right? Okay. On this trailer, this mobile home, was a big sign that said, do not enter. This was a meth house. And it had a big padlock on it. And I thought, okay, what am I going to do about this? So what I did, <laughs> I thought, okay, somebody will buy it. I advertised <laughs> it on Facebook yard sale site. And I was completely honest. I, I posted a screenshot of where it was, what it was. <laughs> and I put on there, this was a meth house. This has to be removed, but you are buying it on this lot but it is uninhabitable. And I advertised it. And within two weeks, I sold it and I made money. So I do not advise anyone doing that. <laughs> do your due diligence, find out where these locations are, what the properties look like, and then do your bidding. But that's a great way to buy properties. We've done all of the above. We have bought properties and then just sold them and didn't do anything with them, just like that mobile home. Then we've bought properties that we just emptied out and sold them and made money for someone else to flip. And then we've bought properties and we did the flipping ourselves. So there's a wide array of ways of purchasing properties and making money. Now, if you decide you're going to buy a property to flip, this is what you don't do. You don't look, you have to look at the neighborhood. Look at the neighborhood. And if you see a house that's, I'm just going to throw out a number for sale for $100,000 and you want to flip it, but all the other houses in the neighborhood are selling for $100,000. The chances of you buying this house for $100,000, putting 50 grand in it and selling it for 300 is slim to none. Why? Because all the other houses in the neighborhood are only selling for $100,000. So if you look at this same neighborhood and there is a foreclosure and this foreclosure is selling for $40,000 and all the other houses in the neighborhood are selling for 150 and it's structurally sound. You have to go in and look at it and you buy, then I say, okay, probably buy that for 40,000 depending on what it needs structurally sound. Okay. I don't buy properties that have foundation issues. That's me. If it just needs some new windows, a roof, new kitchen, bathroom, some paint, whatever, 
let's say you buy it for 40,000, you put 40,000 in it, you got 80,000 in the game, put it on the market for 150. But you have to evaluate what the house needs. And are you going to do the elbow? Are you going to be the worker? Or are you going to hire someone? You have to decide because I'm telling you, labor is expensive. Yes, it is. So make sure that you're thinking, really, You, it might be a good idea if your little worker bees go in with you <laughs> or you go in and you decide what it needs. Then you take your worker bee, your contractor in there and say, this is what I want done. How much are you going to charge me? Now, the contractor that we have, we say, we're buying all the materials. You tell us how much you're going to charge us for the labor. Because I already know how much the materials are going to be because I'm going to buy them. Right. I already know. So now I can really evaluate that really well. Well, you know, the newest thing that's happening in our neck of the woods, uh, especially like in West Seattle, which is a bedroom community of Seattle. It's very pretty and it's on a hill and, and you can overlook Puget Sound or you can overlook downtown Seattle and stuff. And, uh, but some of the houses there are 50, 60, 70 years old and they might be a three bedroom, uh, one bath rambler and that sort of thing. What people are doing now is they're buying the property and the house for four hundred and fifty to seven hundred thousand dollars. They're tearing down the house and building a huge house there and selling it for two and a half million. Okay. Well, they're they're making their you know, if they're able to sell it for that, that's awesome. <laughs> yeah. If they're getting the money for it, you know, or is it gonna sit there a while? So you have to know what you're doing. You and really do. You really do have to know what you're doing. Do you do you uh, um, offer coaching in that if somebody wanted to call you? Yeah. I do. Well, that's, mm-hmm. that's good because I, I, I know somebody who knows somebody. You know, I know right. <laughs> uh, what they did is, is they and they got the big dollars in 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 their eyes and said right. we can we can buy this for 300,000 we can sell it for 500,000 and we'll put 50,000 into it so we'll split $150,000 and we'll make 75,000 each uh, no it, 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 right. they they ended up over under budgeting overspending and they overvalued what the house was worth so they right. instead of that 150 it turned into they were lucky to get rid of it at at break even you've got to look at the comps in the area if all of the houses you know the house that you're looking at whether it's a foreclosure whatever the case may be and you're thinking you're going to flip it you have to look at the comps in the neighborhood right. because if they're only selling for x amount of money you can't go in with a, you know stars in your eyes and thinking, well, I'm going to sell this for $500,000 if all of the houses in the neighborhood are selling for $200,000. It just doesn't work that way. You've got to look at the comps. Now, what you're describing there where they're dumping a lot of money and building new places and, you know, getting $2.5 million, there must be some kind of market for that particular area where people are willing to pay that money. But if we're looking at neighborhoods where, you know, the houses are, you know, they're selling for two hundred thousand, you're probably not going to flip a house for five hundred thousand. So you've got to really know what you're doing. 
By the way, ladies and gentlemen, we've been talking with Karen Ford. She is an author. She's written several books on financial stuff. She's also a nurse. Who knew? If you'd have told me that when we first started, I never I was like, what? You're a nurse and you're a financial uh, guru. So, um, But go to, you have a website. I do. It is KarenFord.org. Very easy. KarenFord.org. Go there, and she's got all kinds of information, and you can also hire her as a coach. She can help you build a budget so that you can uh, start saving money because I'll, t- I'll tell you, uh, recently I had the opportunity to uh, – um, sit down with my son who was uh we needed he needed a he needed a truck he had a jeep anybody he wanted to get out of the jeep and get into a truck well the financial folks weren't willing to work with him very much because of it one was upside down and da, 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 da. and uh but he really wanted the truck but we were and the guy said no well it's going to cost twelve thousand dollars and uh we got up and and we started to get up and uh um, cause my son said, well, I can't make it work. The interest rate's going to be too high and I just can't get it. And I looked across the table and the guy, and I hope that everybody who's listening to this at one point or another is able to say, sir, how about if I give you cash? Will you give me a break? Will you cut the, and he was, he was, <laughs> he was like half standing up. <laughs> getting ready to walk away, and it was like, ding, it was like, and he sat back down, and, and then we, we finished the transaction. But I hope, and it's because I manage my money well, and That's I've been right. able to, to uh, um, use that and to put it put it away, and so that you can do that. Rather than be at the mercy of the people, of the interest rate, and, and telling you what you cannot and cannot have, you can and cannot have, save your money. And so That's that right. when somebody says, um. Oh, you got cash? You got like real money? <laughs> the, That's right. <laughs> the guy looked at me and said, "Are you serious?" <laughs> so, so, but that, it makes you feel good. Karen That's Ford right. has been our guest. By the way, I always like to do this for people before before we leave the podcast. What would you like if you could tell our audience one thing from your heart? What would it be? It doesn't matter what your financial situation is. It doesn't matter how much debt you have. If you got into debt, you can get out of debt, and there is hope for every person's situation. That's beautiful. And you can call Karen, and she can help you get through the budgeting process and and to figure out without any judgment because I I can't believe that you sat there when talking about 86 credit cards and and they didn't – and you didn't like start laughing or something. No, <laughs> I just can't. No. I, I just can't. Especially when they, they they didn't. My my brother. That happened to my brother when he was younger. That uh, he was married to somebody who hid credit cards oh, and ran up like a twenty thousand dollar debt that he didn't know about. Yeah, that was his own fault because he. Could have gone to the mailbox occasionally. That would have been probably a good right. idea. So anyway. That's really unfortunate. Yes, it is. We've been, again, we've been talking with Karen Ford. Your, your, uh, um, uh, email address is, I'm sorry, your, your, your website again is KarenFord.org. It's been a pleasure having you today. It's, it's been great fun. My pleasure. I've enjoyed it. I'm glad. I'm glad. So and thank you, everybody. And uh, coming up in a little while, we've got another another podcast in a couple hours, or no, in a half hour. So stay tuned for that. And uh, Karen, 
Ford, thank you so much for being on the show today. Thank you. My pleasure. Hold on. Hey, and thanks for listening to this episode all the way to the end. Hey, pretty cool. Hey, don't forget to follow us so you can receive regular updates and new posts. And remember, take care of each other because each other's all we've got. See you next time on My Independence Report.